following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Dolo Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udebert Stata of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Crank It. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Fleshman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 112 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and I welcome you all to another great episode. At least I feel it is a great episode. At least we have a great interview with the one and only John Bush. This is the second time around that we've had John on the show. We had him back in October of 2010. He was on episode 21 of the show, and I've always felt that that's one of my favorite interviews, Uh, excuse me, only because, um, you know, when someone's music really means something to you, and I always talk about how music has such an emotional connection, how it's subjective uh, to everyone based on what part of their life it influenced or it touched upon or... You know, in so many cases, I talk about how certain albums may not be the most popular album by a band, but it hit me during a certain period in time of life where you sort of, you know, not to quote the Rolling Stones, but you sort of needed someone to lean on, you know? Um, And that's the case, you know? When Sound of White Noise came out, I mean, yeah, I played A Symbol of Salvation to death. Uh, because I absolutely loved that album. I still remember going up to the old defunct Chester Flea Market in New Jersey and picking that up on CD. It was one of the first CDs that I'd ever purchased, and I played the hell out of it. I mean, due to my age, due to um, you know the where the band was from, they're from the West Coast, and due to how things were back then, I didn't come upon Armored Saint until Symbol of Salvation. You know, I went back and I checked out the rest of their catalog afterwards. The band that I was truly into at the time for a few years at that point was Anthrax. So once he joined Anthrax, you know, it was a whole other world um, that I discovered with him. And that period of time, you know, just a lot of uncertainties in life and a lot of albums that... You go to and you just 
play all the time, you know, just to just to get you out of that rut, you know, per se, to um to to really I don't know, just just make you forget about your issues and make you wanna push forward and whatnot. And you know, those albums, specifically Sound of White Noise, um, Volume 8 is possibly my favorite Anthrax album. I mean, those first three tracks off of Volume 8, uh, Crush, Catharsis, and Inside Out. I mean, I can argue with you all day about another album that has a strong a, a strong start-off like that does. You know, um, well... <laughs> Possibly win hands down by Armored Saint. You know, I I pride myself in trying to interview people that I really find interesting or that I really like. And this album really kicks ass. And I'm not just saying that to kiss anyone's ass. Not because John uh, is on the show and whatnot. I would have said that regardless whether I was able to get him or not. You know, I'd heard the title track win hands down i heard mess and i'd heard an exercise in debauchery and i was thrilled because with a lot of bands that i'm really into i'm always hesitant you know is this new album gonna be great you know shit is it gonna hold up to what i've heard in the past by the band you know and then i started to hear the first few tracks and it just it really got me you know and one of the things that we touch upon in the interview and sort of one of the things that I had to sort of step over because John had already talked about it and I didn't want to go back and, and revisit it is that the album sort of does sound old school in the sense that it sounds as if it was recorded on tape. Now, this is something that I've touched upon with various other artists. I talked to Udo Dirkschneider, Udo Dirkschneider, excuse me, about that um, with his previous album. Um, if you check out the Foo Fighters, uh, back and forth DVD or Blu-ray, they talk about that as well. Obviously they're recording on tape. Uh, when I interviewed Vinnie Apice from at that point, Kill Devil Hill, same deal. They did a lot of the same stuff that they used to do back in the day to record, but they did it in a digital environment. And I really like La Raza. But it was just missing that one like sort of element of feeling per se. It was almost, not that it was too digital sounding, but I don't know. It just doesn't have the almost openness that this album has. It's a great album all on its own. But man, I truly think that Win Hands Down could possibly be one of their best albums, if not their best album. I mean... The album is great from start to finish. The album takes a lot of chances uh, that haven't been taken before by the band uh, as far as, you know, the length of songs, just different instrumentation that they're incorporating that they haven't done in the past. And, man, the track Dive is just so cool. It's, I don't know, you could probably qualify it as a, um, or classify it, excuse me, as a ballad. Uh, but it really has this like sound of the Southern or excuse me, sign of the Southern Cross by Black Sabbath sort of mixed with Pink Floyd type of feel to it. It's just really different, like really, 
I don't know, like just really out there for them. And at the same time, it's got like this really dark, weighing feeling going on with it. I know a lot of people will say, well, it sounds like Black Lodge because, you know, Black Lodge was stepping out of the box for not only Anthrax, but for that album. So it's sort of similar with this track, but it's going in a completely different place. Just the instrumentation and just how it's written is just incredible. So uh, that that's my kissing ass portion of this show. But I truly do encourage you to go out and pick up Win Hands Down. If you haven't already, there will be links in the show notes to do so. Uh, you know, I always try to tell everyone to support the bands that they love. And the links that we have beneath the show notes, what that does is it helps support us as well. Um, you have links to Amazon. You have links to iTunes. Uh, there will be links to FYI and CD Universe, where if you click on any of those to pick it up, it's available on CD, digital download, or vinyl. If you pick it up on any of those formats, we get a small kickback that helps us out greatly. So uh, if you're going to pick it up, no putting a gun to anyone's head. But if you are, it's highly recommended that you do so via our links. I know that every show says that. But, uh, you know, just trying to get the word out there. If you also want to help us out, there is a donate button on the site there. Uh, there's also a link to various affiliate stores where it's the same deal. If you click through and purchase anything from them. We get a small kickback for more or less providing them with a lead. So uh, there you go. Want to remember or want to remind you guys, Jesus, got over this cold, got over all the health issues, and now it seems like I'm tripping over myself when I'm speaking today. Uh, want to remind you guys to check out all the various social media sites that we're on, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio, uh, Google Plus, which is, they've now switched it up. So it's google.com forward slash uh, Mars Attacks Radio, if I'm not mistaken. And the Twitter, which is Mars Aries 2005. Um, if you are confused about any of that, just go to the homepage, marsattacksradio.com, and you'll find links to all of those great social media sites. Uh, what else is going on? Just a lot, a lot of craziness going on. I just received an email from the uh, American consulate here in Spain regarding just terrorist activity over here in Europe. And, you know, with everything going on in the States, it's sort of been pushed under the rug. And I don't know, it just freaks me the fuck out, <laughs> basically. Um, a lot of you that follow the show know that, you know, I... Did witness 9-11 in person. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I did move over to Europe amongst the, a bunch of others. Um, and just seeing what's going on, you know, and just various public opinion around here. It's not the most popular time to be an American overseas. Um, there's just a lot of things I could go into. I could just do a show just about that, but I'm not going to. Um, there's just a lot of things going on, a lot of uncertainties in the world. I do realize that since there was an ocean between us, basically, that uh, maybe there isn't the same type of coverage 
that there has been with other things in the past, but it's it's serious, it's alive, and um, it's, I don't know, I, I just don't see things getting any better without it getting a hell of a lot worse, and I just hope that, you know, me or my family don't get caught up in it, or anyone that I know, or, or anyone that's listening, for that matter, you know, I know that we have friends in the UK that are listening, and we have friends down under that are listening in New Zealand, and, um, you know, just hope that you guys are all safe, and that, you know, shit, that we all just learn to get along, you know, uh, we don't all think alike, we don't all pray alike, we don't all love alike, and we all have different views and different things, and, you know, I think as long as you're happy, and as long as, you know, the person that you're with is happy and or whatnot, or even if you're not with anyone, if you're happy <laughs> regardless of who you're with, what you're with, or, or whatnot, you know, just that's it. Be happy. Do, <laughs> do what you have to. Uh, but that's that's it, man. Um, we're going to get into some music now. There, when discussing the track Dive, actually, John Bush did bring up one of my all-time favorite tracks. It's a UFO track that I think is influential as shit. Um, man, it's just incredible that so many kids nowadays will not give a lot of, you know, 70s hard rock or, or 80s hard rock or metal the time of day because they're beginning to deem it dad music. Like, I saw this list that had, like, Slayer and Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, and it was dad music, so it wasn't metal anymore, man. And it's just incredible. You know, a band like UFO with Michael Schenker, who has influenced countless players and bands like Metallica and Arch Enemy and just different things that have trickled down through the generations. It's it's amazing that you can listen to newer bands and you can say, oh, wow, you know, that's a UFO influence. Actually, my friends from Angelus Apatrida, Century Music uh, recording recording artists, um, they have a song called Gone Away. And Gone Away sounds a lot like Love to Love. It's got that influence, that Michael Shanker type guitar part to it. And I remember after catching them at a show, I said, you realize that that's a Michael Shanker influence. I said, I can guarantee almost anything that you guys got that via Dave Mustaine, but it actually comes from Michael Shanker. And sure enough, they copped to the fact that, you know, it was a Mustaine-influenced riff. And, you know, I sent this track to them. I also sent the Desert Song uh, by... Michael Shanker, which also is almost like a derivative of what he's playing here. So let's check the track out. This is UFO with the track Love to Love.
Decades on Mars Attacks features your host, Victor, and a slew of other guest hosts choosing their favorite tracks from today and jump back 10 years at a time, all the way back to the inception of hard rock and metal. Check out the Decades series by going to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com and selecting the series from the right-hand side of the page. It doesn't matter how long it took for you to get here. What's important is that you're here now. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Please leave a comment while doing so. Alternately, you can go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and stream or download past episodes from there. Mars Attacks brings you its classic album series featuring current and former members of Anthrax, Megadeth, Testament, Overkill, Judas Priest, Danzig, Prong, producers, journalists, podcasters, and a bunch more commenting on some of the most important albums to influence and push forward the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Want to find out more? Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and click on Classic Albums column from the right-hand side of the page to jump headfirst into this series. And now, back to our show. Here is your host, Victor. All right, so we are back and had a little UFO there. And at the end there, just lined up a bunch of different uh, spots there, different promos. Classic albums column. Well, there's part of what I spoke to John Bush about that you're not going to hear during today's episode. What you will hear, though, in the future is an episode with John Bush of the Classic Albums column discussing Anthrax's Sound of White Noise. We also have Charlie Bonante's comments for that, and I'm working on getting other members of the band to discuss the album. So let's see how that all plans out. Have a something big uh, planned for the six-year anniversary of the show. Hopefully I will be able to pull it off which is why I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. (laughs) Um, But if it all plays out the way that I expect it to, or that I'd like it to, I think you guys will be very happy with the end result. Um, Anyway, let's get into another track. This time we're going to feature something that John actually sang on. This is a track that was for uh, the Nuclear Blast 20th anniversary special which was called out of out of the dark he was on a track called uh, paper trail now you may think that this is similar to roadrunner united but it actually varied in the sense that the album was mostly recorded by peter i believe the last name is pronounced uh winchers formerly of soil work Soil Works, excuse me. No, Soil Work. I was right the first time. Singular. And Henry Rada, who was also the drummer of Soil Work at one point. And it features Peter on both guitar and bass. So let's check out a, a quick snippet of this track. This is Paper Trail. It's got this really cool riff right there in the chorus that... I've always thought was just great. So let's check it out together. This is Paper Trail featuring John Bush.
The Text Podcast is part of the Great Talking Metal Digital Family, which also features one-on-one -on -one with Mitch Lafont, Talking Rock, Metal Raps with Mitch Joe, Mitch Lafont and Mark Striegel, and the granddaddy of them all, Talking Metal. To find out more, go to talkingmetal.com. Want to give us your feedback? Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Radio. Or send us an email input at marsattacksradio.com. Signals from Mars is a series of opinion pieces written by Mars Attacks podcast's own Victor M. Ruiz. These posts cover recent news, industry trends, or any other music-related topic that Victor would like to touch upon. To read current or past installments of Signals from Mars, go to marsattacksradio.com and select it from Category section of the homepage. All right, so I'm sure there are plenty of you that are eager for me to get on with things here. 
and listen to the John Bush interview. Before doing so, it would be a crime for me not to play something off of the new album, Win Hands Down. Uh, we're going to play a snippet of this track because I want you guys to go out and pick the album up and help support the band. And, man, the lyrics to this, the, the opening is just so spot on, at least for me, when it comes to uh, just different things that you that you see and hear on a daily basis. So here we go. The name of this track is Muscle Memory. And after playing a little bit of this, we're going to jump right on into the interview with the one and only John Bush. biggest interviews in the sense of how they turned out involved construction work in the background one was blitz from overkill spackling his chimney and one was john bush having some sort of extension put on his house so um, that's funny the, yeah the construction and metal theme seems to continually continuously come up during the show that's, but, uh, that's weird um well i get i don't I'm, I'm, i guess it was maybe the 
little office that I'm sitting in as we speak because we did add a little balcony to our house and maybe that's what was happening. That's funny. Well, hopefully it wasn't too loud. No, it was all cool. Everything came out great. So Okay, good. Um, as far as uh, Wind Hands Down is concerned, very few bands can put out an album that strong 30-plus years into their career. Was it a conscious effort for you guys to try to make what is arguably one of the best albums the band has put out? Well, thank you for starters. Um, you know, I don't... I, I probably could speak on the behalf of, I guess, any band and say that every band is probably striving to evolve and make the best music that they can make as a, you know, with every record they put out, it would be a logical conclusion. Um, however, that's, it's, the results don't always show that. And um, I, I think that what happens is that as time goes on, um, ironically enough, sometimes people play it safer because they think, okay, this is what my fan base is expecting. This is what they want. We're going to give them what they want. And all, although that's a understandable thought process, I find it to be a safe process and one that I don't think is that kind of fulfilling to me as a musician. I don't want to come off like I'm the pompous, you know, arrogant artist because people like that annoy me too. So that's, <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, come off like that. However, at the same time, um, you, you can just keep doing something that you think people are wanting and kind of stick to that formula. Cause otherwise I think you'll be bored yourself for starters. And I think that your music will start becoming less and less exciting. So um, that that was part of the theory for us with Win Hands Down. And ironically enough, people think, like you said, that some of our best material, some people even have used the term old school, which is kind of funny because I don't necessarily think it sounds like old Armored Saint. Um, but, you know, there, there's hints of this, like, retro kind of vibe to it. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily retro Armored Saint. It might be retro... Uh, to the bands that kind of inspired and influenced us, because I think that we always were playing, paying homage to those, to those artists. You know, the bands like Priest and Heyday, uh, and the bands like UFO and Thin Lizzy. Like we love those bands, and I think we've modeled a lot of our style after those type of groups. So I don't know. You know, I think that I mean, I'm kind of being long-winded. I, I I can be that way. Sorry, so I'm sorry about that. But um, you know, in the end, I think that. You do have to push yourself if you want to make something that continues to be exciting. Otherwise, you're kind of conservative. And the irony is that, like heavy metal, this fringe type of music should not be conservative. And yet sometimes I find that it is kind of because people stick to a certain style and formula that they think that that's what the fans are wanting. And so they kind of... They do that, and and then I think you're then when you do that, sometimes you you come off playing it safe, and I don't want to play it safe. You know, to me, that's it just wouldn't be fulfilling as a musician. So, there you go. No, I, I hear you. There are definitely bands that have had, say, radio hits, for example, where every time you pick up the new album, they have that one like reincarnation of that radio hit. It seems <laughs> like they have to continue to try to 
keep emulating what got them to the dance per se. And and I would sort of scratch my head and think, well, if I'm going to see you play, you know, 20 songs that sound alike live, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean, look, I love Can You Deliver. I love March of the Saint. I, you know, I love Symbol of Salvation. But we did it. You know, so I was like, well, I don't want to do it again. We already did it. And it was great. But, you know, you that's when it's time to kind of, move forward and um and try different things so that's the way i kind of see it and that's my own personal perspective on things how much do you think not being forced by a label to do album tour album tour plays into how strong the the songwriting is from album to album um well i think it's a big it's a huge element um at least I, for me, you know, for me, I'll just start with me because I'm me, you know, and I, I, as much as I try to speak on behalf of the band and, and think that everybody is in the same boat with me, I don't, you know, we're all very close guys, especially Joey and I, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're always on the same page because we're not. But uh, for me, it was just the choice I made. Uh, it happened, you know, when I basically quit Anthrax for the first time was when I left the band and they did the reunion and my daughter was born and I don't know, just a new door opened to my life. Uh, a couple other things were going on for me. And at that point I kind of just embraced it. And I said, well, I think I like this. Um, I was always a guy who was willing to go on tour. As a matter of fact, much more than the guys in Anthrax back in the day. When we had like a six-week European tour, I was like, all right. That was when I was single, no kids. I was like, going to Europe for six weeks? Killer. And I won't mention names, but a couple of guys in the band, they were like, that sounds dreadful because they had done it and I hadn't done it as much. Perhaps that was one of the reasons. But, you know, for me to go on tour for that length of time was something that I found totally exciting and was embracing. Um, so, but, you know, now I did it in, you know, 12 years in Anthrax, and I did a lot of tours like that. So um, when the time came when, again, I left the band, and, and then we kind of slowly, periodically resumed the same and, and, you know, kind of eventually put out La Raza, um, you know, at that time, I, I, my mindset had changed, and I didn't want to do that anymore. For me, I decided to have kids, and I kind of wanted to be a part of their lives as often as I could, and I didn't want to be a father who just left for you know a significant amount of the time i ain't judging people like that i you know people got to do what they got to do i'm not saying anybody's bad for that it just wasn't something i wanted to do so um it was a way of kind of trying to marry the things together i love performing live i love making music i love rocking out like anyone does in in a band but i just wanted to do it where i wasn't going to be gone for a long stretch of the time and kind of miss out on my kids growing up um, so that to me was, you know, imperative that I made that happen. Um, and everybody didn't always see it that way. A couple of guys in the band don't have kids. So, you know, for them, probably picking up and leaving for a long period of time is, is a lot easier. But, um, you know, it's just, I kind of, you know, it's the way I say I wanted to do it. And now that going back to your question is that I think that that kind of led to this way to not make music where you were on that kind of hamster wheel and you were doing it, uh, you know, album, tour, writing, album, tour, writing, because al- then you can start to get in a kind of a rut. And so because we didn't choose to do that, we didn't go into that rut. And not saying every band goes into that rut, again, let me clarify, but you can. And 
because we didn't have that kind of style of, of, of working, it kind of just made it a lot more loose. And the funny thing about Armored Saint is that we really are a kind of a loose garage band in the end. That's kind of how I perceive it. Um, you know, we started in garages playing, you know, Gonzo and Phil's garage and my mom and dad's. And, and I think that kind of set the tone for really what we are. We're, we're sometimes live. We're not the tightest band. We kind of come off loose. But I think there's like a, a cool aspect of that. There's like a, a, a just a, a real sincere kind of thing that comes from Armored Saint. And it probably started that way. So I think that was just a continuation of, of the way we are, that, of our style. We're just kind of this loose-fitted group, and um, and I think it kind of gives us a lot of personality. So that's the – I'm writing that. <laughs> All right. So being that the band isn't on the album tour writing cycle, as you just mentioned, um, what internal decision takes place to say, you know what, now is the time to write one of our albums? You know, it wasn't really, it was as simple as Joey having a couple ideas and saying, I have some stuff, you want to listen to it and try to work on it? And I said, sure, send it to me. Send it to me. I put it in, I made a disc of it. I play it in my car, which is where I listen to a lot of music and, and I actually do a lot of writing. Ironically enough, it's like my studio. Um, and I just started working on stuff and it just happened and it just kind of grew and it happened kind of effortlessly. So um, that's the way it did. And, and, you know, then, oh, hey, you got a couple more ideas. Okay, send them to me. And then, then we would make, Joey makes these real elaborate demos that sound like records. It's just the way he does it. Where he has, you know, a great, great drum machine and, um, he, you know, he puts it together and, and he makes it sound like it's this finished mixed record that was made by like Martin Birch and it's just the way he wants to do it. And it's fun to work that way because it's fun to sing over it. It's fun to write to it. Um, and it sounds great. So, um, and then, you know, like I said, that just kind of started to just multiply. And next thing we know, we had like nine songs and we go, I think we, this is enough. I think we have enough material that we could do it. And, um, you know, throughout that process, the guys are involved, you know, Phil and Jeff would come and play leads and some nuances on the demos. Um, you know, we never did drum tracks because it just wasn't reason to until we actually were going to make the record. Um, but everyone was involved and, you know, it, it just kind of happened organically. So, um, that's, that's the way it goes. You know, it wasn't like, okay, all right, we're going to make a record and let's, you know, what sure we let's sign a contract now. And, you know, as soon as we were kind of halfway through, we got Brian involved from Metal Blade and um, sent him some material. But for the most part, he kind of just left us alone. So, Okay, and as far as the, the lyrical content, it's very diverse on this album. It seems in certain spots like it is somewhat personal. Um, do you have topics before going into the writing process where you say, you know what, I'd like to write about this or I'd like to write about that or do you hear a track and then start evolving the lyrics from there a lot of for me throughout the, my music career I think the music is is in the thing that kind of inspires where the song goes lyrically um, but I do have a lot of lyrical ideas um, I have a book that I have a bunch of phrases and titles and and you know just maybe words even um, so I consult that when I start working on stuff, but I let the music try to kind of paint a landscape, so to speak, and, 
and then I'll maybe see a phrase as I look in my book and go, oh, that might work, and then I ha- then it triggers a lyrical topic. Um, you know, a lot of the ideas came from all kinds of sources, conversations with friends, with, you know, maybe my wife, stuff I've read in the paper, um, you know, maybe a book I've read, a movie I've seen, um, you know, certainly things that are going on in the world around me. So I, I kind of try to run with that and, and just let it kind of happen the natural way. And, um, you know, with lyrics, it's kind of the same mentality I have with music. It's that I want to be willing to take chances and uh, kind of, if it's a personal thing, kind of reveal it, you know, let, let it um, you know, kind of strip myself and not worry too much about, you know, whether or not this is something I should say or not say. I kind of just go with it and, and, and just kind of roll with that. And um, I real pro- I'm real proud of the lyrics on this record. I think that, it, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff, and um, I think that there's topics that I'm tackling that are, you know, are ones that could strike up a long conversation with people. And, and as much as I try to write about stuff that's mostly personal, because it is mostly um, I feel like that other people can identify with them, and that maybe is in the back of my mind to make sure that I can always write in a way where somebody can relate on their own terms with them. So um, I like writing lyrics, and it's it's still something that comes kind of easily, and I'm happy about that because it's a, a fun thing to do. Okay. Um, with the track, with the full head of steam, Pearl a Day appears on it. Whose idea... Was it to work with Pearl? Was that something you wanted to do from the start, or was it something that Joey brought to you since he's obviously working with her in another project? Well, I, I actually had the idea of working with uh, another singer. Um, I liked the idea of me bouncing off another voice, um, and I thought the idea of me bouncing off a female voice was something, again, we never had done before. Um, Joey, as a matter of fact, sang a lot of stuff on this record, tons of backgrounds, even a couple of lead vocal parts, and sang his ass off, did amazingly well, and uh, really broadened the sound of the band, so I was stoked on that. So I, I just, I think it's cool to hear my voice with another person's voice. I've done, um, you know, kind of duets, as you will, with other guys, but I never did one with a female voice, so I thought that was a cool idea. Had a couple people in mind, certainly Pearl was one of them, and it just made the most sense to have her. Um, she sang her ass off, um, you know, really kind of took my general idea for the, the song and kind of just really kicked it into the stratosphere and just totally blew it out. And it sometimes sounds like you know, a little bit of a female John Bush. And I was just real happy. I, I was flabbergasted what she did with it. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was a great uh, thing that happened there. Yeah, the track came out really cool. Um, it, what really flabbergasts me is that people still ask you, well, what's your relationship with so-and-so? What's your relationship with so-and-so? Well, Pearl's on the album, so if there were any beefs, she obviously wouldn't be on the album. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, we, you know, we've gone through, obviously, people sometimes wonder and they, they want to create drama out of something and um, you know, that's kind of been way behind me and, and the guys in Anthrax. Um, that's not to say that, you know, it's always, uh, you know, a blissful circumstance. I mean, I, I do speak to Scott 
Um, I haven't really talked to Charlie and, and Frank in a while. Um, and I'm going through some kind of personal situation with another guy that was in the band that, you know, is pretty annoying, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that being said, you know, I'm always proud of everything I've done with Anthrax, and I think we made some killer music together, and, um, you know, it's a part of my life that I'm real proud of. So, um, you know, it's it, it Pearl's a great singer. Um, she's somebody who I knew would give it a lot of love, and it just it made the most sense to use her, and um, she did a great job. Okay, Dive is such a departure for the band. Um, what were your initial thoughts when Joey started playing you pieces of that track? I he he had the idea of you know this piano piece. You know we've always kind of again we were always big fans of things bands like Queen and Elton John and hell I mean look at Epitaph by Judas Priest has piano in it and um, you know songs like Love to Love from UFO you know has a keyboard parts so. It wasn't something that was so foreign to us as far as what we like to listen to. So I think that when he suggested some piano part, um, you know, that's to sing over, I said, let's do it because I've never done it. So let's let's do that. Um, so it was very much embracing of the idea. And, um, you know, originally we were going to take the song and do this kind of really ambient world um, and then it just kind of wrote itself, and then it became the song that it is. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that maybe you have an idea for something, and then you, you have this kind of thought that it might be this certain way. And then sometimes, I'm telling you, and my, my personal opinion and my experience is sometimes the best songs, they just kind of write themselves. So um, you just kind of let it happen, and that's what happened with that song. And it, it's a cool, it's a really cool track. I think it's the last song that we worked on, and um, we had the idea of maybe having it be the last song on the record. But I, I, then in the end, I, I thought it'd be it'd be best to just kind of end on a you know upbeat note. So that's why we kicked up yours and and to being the last song. But uh, I love Dive. It's really cool. It's a, it's a it shows a, just another part of us evolving, which I think is real important. Okay, and. You guys just finished playing Hellfest in front of 90,000 people. How gratifying is it for you 30-plus years into your career to have so many people want to go out and see you guys play? Well, <laughs> you know, number one is I don't know if 90 were actually watching us. We went out at 3 o'clock on Friday, so there probably wasn't that many. Um, and certainly, obviously, it's a big festival, so you know people were there to see many, many bands, and we were just one of them. But to be on the bill was uh, we were trying to get on for a couple of years. It's a big, awesome, happening festival. We haven't done a lot of shows in the country of France. Um, we did Sonnetier a couple of years ago, and then we played Paris, a uh, headline show after huh, 25, 28 years, first time, which was awesome. But um, you know, we we wanted to. We've done some big shows in Germany as far as festivals, um, but we never really did one in France. So we were trying to get on the bill, and we were lucky enough to do it. And so we we made the most of it. We were a little bummed because our backdrop didn't make there because of uh, well some inadequacies with either Air France or Delta. But we we were and Jeff didn't get his stage clothes. We had convinced him to put his stage clothes in the backdrop bag. And he was actually quite reluctant, but in the end, he he 
he agreed to it. And then they had the backdrop never made it. So he was a little upset that he had to go on stage with his like uh, skateboard, you know, eight year old attire. Um, but he, he did a great job. But, it, you know, we were a little bummed because it would have been nice to have the big Armored Saint banner behind us that we didn't have. But in any case, you know, you kind of have to laugh, laugh those things off. And I thought we did great. You know, we had 40 minutes. We made the most of it. We rocked our, our asses off. And uh, we were lucky enough to play in front of a pretty big crowd there in France. So it was cool. Uh, you keep bringing up Judas Priest. And there, there's an interesting picture of a backstage uh, encounter between you and Rob Halford at Hellfest. Um, the story goes that he asked you to pose for a selfie. Yeah. Uh, what's it like for you to run into Rob Halford and have him ask you pose for a selfie? Well, it's funny because we made eye contact. He was walking up the stage and he was, I guess, he was trying to watch um, Billy Idol, was it, maybe? I think it was, but um, who went on after us. So I don't think he actually saw us, but um, I think he was just... Um, I guess wherever he was going, people kept asking him for a picture, and I think he was getting annoyed, so he, he was trying to flee. Um, but he, we made eye contact, and then he just came over and started talking to me. And I, to tell you the truth, I can't really recall the last time Rob and I actually had a conversation. I mean, we did a tour together. It was, was my first tour ever in Anthrax. Well, second, because we toured with Rob Zombie, but then we went back out on the second leg and did a tour with Fight, and that was really cool. I mean, you know. It's Rob. I mean, it, it, there's very few singers that have had the impact on me as a, as a, you know, a singer myself than Rob Halford has. I mean, there, you know, there, I say there's a handful of people that I can say who I adore as, a, as far as singers go. You know, someone like Freddie Mercury, um, you know, uh, certainly Ronnie Dio. But, you know, Rob is, you know, he might be the top when it comes to singers um, in hard rock and heavy metal. And, um, you know, to, to have him even respond to me in any way was uh, was quite humbling. So, you know, he's the king. You know, I, I think of, of Rob as like one of the greatest rock singers of all time, hands down. Win hands down. And, um, you know, so, you know, he, his influence on me is just, um, you know, I can't even put it into words as far as... Uh, what he means to me as a rock singer. And so, I mean, I was, I was pretty humbled by the moment and um, stoked to take a picture with him. <laughs> Does the kid in you come out at that moment as a fan, or are you still playing it cool the entire time? Well, I think I played it kind of cool, but, you know, I, I, I love honoring the people that have influenced me and still getting to know them in, in, in you know, albeit a, you know, kind of uh, acquaintance way. Um, you know, I'm I, I, I'm stoked when I meet people that have had a, a big inspiration on me as a musician, and um, you know, I wanted I, you certainly don't want to like uh, fanboy out at all if you can avoid it, because you know, I I it just was unnecessary. You know, I think he was saying hello to me as a fellow musician. So, um, but you know, look, I mean, he's he's the king. So, I mean, I, I was I was stoked. I tried to play it cool. I think I did. <laughs> On the flip side, are you surprised when people come up to you and pay you the same type of respect? You know, I'm honored. You know, I'm I'm honored by it. You know, and I'm I try to remain humble by it. You know, I love being a being a singer. I I still love the art of singing and making music. So you know, if you you know, Sonic Armored Saint sold a billion records. Um, you know, but we have had a lot of music probably um, 
inspire people themselves and uh, impact them. And um, I think that's what you strive to do you know, as a musician. You just want to make music that you, that even if one person goes, dude, that song just blew my mind or, you know, took me to another place or whatever it is, I think that you, you feel that and go, awesome. You, you, that's the ultimate reward for a musician. So I think that's, you know, the, I, I'm happy when that happens, even though only it happens that handful of times. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm stoked because that's, I think, what you're looking to do. I mean, look, when we were 18 and 17, you wanted to set the world afire, and, um, and then the music business sometimes doesn't happen the way you want it to, and you, you know, you, you, you get a dose of reality, but you still go on and you still want to make music, and I think your priorities change, and um, you know, I think that in the end, you kind of want to just please yourself first. I mean, I think that's why we made this really cool record is that you, you kind of have to make yourself happy. And if you feel like you're happy and if you've done something that seems real genuine and honest, then the fans will re- respond to that and they'll, they'll feel it. And, and so you don't even have to think that hard about it. You just say, yeah, this is, you know, we dug deep, and this is this is it, and and I think people will identify with that. At least you hope. You know, I mean, there's there's people through the years who've made records sometimes that like probably are inappropriate or you know way too out for the average fan. But you know, in the end, I think you try to be as honest as possible. Maybe those records weren't honest, and that's why they you know they they weren't as well received. I don't know. You know, you do. You just try to do your best, but you do need to please yourself first. I think that's the most important person because I'm my biggest critic. Joey, there's no bigger critic than him. You know, so. Gotcha. Okay. Um, a few years back, you actually took part in the 30th anniversary shows for Metallica and did the Four Horsemen. Uh, was that more fulfilling for you, Metallica, or the <laughs> fans? Um. Well, I mean, I was obviously honored by that, and, you know, it was an amazing moment, not only for me personally, but just for Armored Saint to get to open the one show that we did. Um, it was a killer time. That whole thing was such a cool thing that they put together because it wasn't like a normal rock concert. It was like, uh, you know, moment in time that a lot of these people got to share with Metallica, and it was really neat. It was just really cool how they put it all together. They would talk about people and... Um, you know they they discussed uh, you know all the thing, all the different people that at least that day who they uh, had played with them and you know we were there and Lou Reed was there and you know Merciful Fate and it was just you know it was really cool so um, uh, you know I think that those guys they wanted to do something with me that was you know show the history together and um, you know I wanted to <laughs> go up there and do my best with the song and. Um, it was awesome. It was a great moment. It was just, uh, like one of those special nights in my life that I'll always remember. Why the Four Horsemen out of all the songs that you could have done? Well, I think that because the whole story kind of goes to when the band asked me to sing with them, and it was before Kill 'Em All was made. So it made sense that it was going to be one of those songs to me. That seemed like the logical choice. Um, and, you know... There was a handful of songs that I thought about. You know, I actually did No Remorse. I mean, not No Remorse. Um, um, uh, what song was it that uh, we did with Anthrax? Actually, now I'm drawing a blank here. We re- we covered... Um, which one? Whiplash? No, not Whiplash. Um, 
I'm totally drawing a blank right now. It'll come to me. But we, um, so that was, well, that wasn't going to be Whiplash because that just seemed too much of a classic, although, you know, Four Horsemen is a classic Metallica song too, or Seek and Destroy. You know, those are just maybe, I don't know, maybe those were just not the right songs. I don't know. Four Horsemen seemed like the right song because it was a big song and yet it wasn't Whiplash or Seek and Destroy. So, um, you know, that's why we went with that one. Oh, the Phantom Lord. We did Phantom Lord with Anthrax. We covered that at some point a few years back. How much of a bind did you get the band out of playing to not have to play that with Mustaine? <laughs> uh, I didn't say anything about that. I think it was just, um, you know, it was the moment of just playing with them and, um, I was the I was the lone guest so uh, on that particular song. I didn't really have too much input as to what who was going to be participating with it. Yeah, I th- I thought it was interesting, not from your standpoint. I thought it was great hearing you do the lyrics. But out of all the years where Dave went into the banter on stage about how they played it, how Metallica played it. I was, you know, it was just one of those things where I think as a fan, you're thinking, you know, what's going to happen if he actually plays this song with them? So it was uh, interesting to hear you singing on it. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it just, they asked me, once, once we talked about doing the song, um, you know, I actually spoke to Lars and, you know, I suggested that one. He said, well, let me think about it. And then he came back to me and goes, okay, yeah, let's do that one. So um, I didn't really know, again, I just assumed it was going to be me and the current members of the band, and um, I didn't really have, like I said, I had too much input if there was going to be anybody else there. Um, I do know that Dave got on stage with them on, on a couple of other circumstances during that weekend or that, during those shows, but um, you know, I don't know what the arrangement was that they worked out with him. It was just... It was a moment where it was just me and uh, the current members. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up on Mars Attack. It was 
There you go, a little bit of the title track off of Armored Saints' latest, Wind Hands Down. Definitely check the album out. I do not think you will be disappointed, especially if you're a longtime fan of the band, if you're a fan of John and his work in Anthrax. I think you'll enjoy this album as well. Want to thank a bunch of people for making this interview happen Want to thank, first of all, Vince from Metal Blades, who helped pass me on to George from Concrete uh, Marketing, and who ultimately helped me uh, hook everything up with John Bush. Thanks to John for coming on once again and providing us with such great banter and such a great interview. And want to thank you guys for checking this out and listening. Remember, you can... Drop us a line by sending me an email directly to input at marsattacksradio.com or comment up there on our Facebook site, facebook.com forward slash marsattacksradio. Really wanted to play the Metallica song, The Four Horsemen with John. Uh, did it a bunch of times when I had the live radio show going and... Um, you know, I don't want to get into any legal issues. Uh, so I'll just encourage you guys to go over to uh, livemetallica.com and pick that up. You can pick up the entire concert that John was a part of for nine ninety nine, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's fairly cheap. And they may have even changed things so that you could pick up individual tracks as well. The four shows are just great. Nonetheless, I have them and I've played them a bunch of times. It's it's great to hear them play with all these different guests. And for as much shit as the band gets, how many other bands are playing 80 songs over four shows in a week? So take that into consideration. All right, we're going to wrap things up with another track off of When Hands Down. And this is the track Mess. If you listen to any of the tracks that were released before the album, this was one of them. I could have played one of the other tracks. I mean, I could have played with the full head of steam so you guys could hear Pearl singing on the track. I could have played Dive, which I think is a great, great track as well. Uh, pretty much anything off of this album is, is really good. So do yourself a favor and check it out. There you go. We're going to end it with Mess. And just want to thank you guys once again for listening. We will catch you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 